Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action to create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in this tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Katie Quigley. Katie leads the global industry audience marketing team at Microsoft. She is responsible for the buyer journey across seven primary industries, providing insights and innovation. Katie drives marketing engagements and brings industry solutions to life by leveraging events, web, press, analysts with our customers, and partners across the globe for each key industry. Prior to Microsoft, Katie spent over a decade in Washington, D.C. area as a director of meetings, marketing, and professional development for various trade associations. She's had the responsibility for logistics and content for conferences held around the world, ranging from 10 to 15,000 people. Katie is active in speaking at professional conferences on topics ranging from marketing to leadership to women in technology. She's a graduate of the University of Washington, has two teenage sons that play baseball, football, and golf, and she's a lifelong sports enthusiast, trail runner, and loves leading an active lifestyle in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome to the show, Katie. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be here. Great. Let's get started. Um, so, Katie, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Yes, I'm happy to share my journey. It's um, a little bit of a um, curvy journey that I've had <laughs> with a few left turns. I started my career out of college uh, with the intent to be in events and be in marketing, but for nonprofit organizations. And so, although I'm from Seattle, I moved to Washington, D.C. and started working for uh, professional associations and trade associations. It was fascinating. It was great, first of all, just to move to someplace different than where I grew up. And, and so that was a learning experience on its own. But uh, I loved working for associations where I, our members were global. I um, got to you know, travel the world, meet people from all different cultures, and really get a great experience in my 20s. My intent was to continue along that path and become an executive director of an association. And then I got a call from Microsoft. A friend of mine knew of a new, new job that was being created to uh, manage the event marketing team for Microsoft. And given my passion was around events, and I, it gave me the chance to move home. I had two little babies at the time. Um, I took that, that chance and that opportunity and was so excited about it. It was a dream opportunity, quite honestly. And I did that for almost 10 years. 
And then I realized, um, you know, it was time to do something different. It was time to either leave Microsoft and continue on my path in events or to stay at Microsoft and expand my, um, my uh, breadth of responsibility and uh, skills. And so I moved to the partner channel. I had no idea what I was doing walking into it and how much I was going to love it. Um, what I did know is that there was a big event that I was responsible for, in addition to several other responsibilities across marketing. And so to me, it was a good growth opportunity where I still got to be uh, doing uh, something around events, but then doing more. What I didn't realize in that is how amazing uh, the partner community and the partner channel was at Microsoft. I had not had that exposure. And um, it has changed me, quite honestly, it's changed me forever that experience because of the relationships that I was able to build, the insights and the front row view I got to have of the partner's passion for our customers, for our products, for solutions, um, and just the work that they do. And so uh, that to me is truly one of my highlights of, of my career at Microsoft. Um, but I was uh, a marketer sitting in a sales organization, so I needed to continue kind of on that path. Still um, so happy at Microsoft. Satya had just become CEO uh, the year before, and I realized that um, you know it was a culture that was shaping up to be one that I absolutely wanted to continue to be part of. And so instead of um, uh, leaving Microsoft, I stayed and um, moved back into marketing, and this time in a product marketing group. And so it's an odd journey for most people working at a, uh, a technology company that it took me almost 15 years to work in a product group. Uh, so that was, a, that was a, a bigger shift also that I realized. I uh, got to do a lot of work with engineering, got to learn more about um, pricing, business models, um, go-to-market strategies for products, uh, roadmaps, and so forth. And so I absolutely uh, loved that experience. Business applications was the product area. It's a growing one. It was a smaller one than you know Azure and, and Microsoft 365, but it was one that was up and coming. And so it was kind of being a startup in a startup in an enterprise company. And so that experience is, you know, was invaluable to me. Um, but then uh, it came to a point where I um, thought, okay, it's time for, I'm not a core product marketer, but I love marketing. And so I switched over to industry marketing. Um, my first day at work was, I think, March 11th um, in 2000, 2020. And so mm -hmm. the world was turning upside down. I didn't realize it. So my first day of work was our shelter in place. Um, there are people on my team, I've been there for almost six months now that I still have not met in person. Mm -hmm. um, the job completely changed, you know, from day one because of what had happened, um, moving from, you know, uh, how is it that we help our customers rapidly transform to be able to meet the demands of their customers, to stay afloat, to, you know, to survive uh, this unprecedented event that has happened across the globe. And and then also, you know, quite a large portion of this job is around our industry events engagement. So how do we rethink that completely? Because no one is meeting face to face. So absolutely a fun journey. Long answer, but it's been um, it's been a, a a journey that I didn't see what was ahead of me always. But it's uh, every turn I've loved. That is awesome. What a great journey. And you said curvy, but really. Um... Just right. kept kept growing, you know, and when you talk about that role that you had with partners, 
um, I can hear the passion uh, for, in your voice because you love working with partners and every partner I know loves, loves you and loves working with you. So that passion really comes out. And um, yeah, in your new role, very different, very different times and a lot of adaptability and flexibility and changing thoughts and vision in place to make things more remote, but it's really put us all into a very quick digital transformation mode. And, you know, I read um, stats that said two years of digital transformation has happened in two months. And that's just amazing, you know, how when we have to change, we do. It's very true. It is. It's part of my role the last couple of years, even when I switched over to industry, was to work on the digital transformation story for Microsoft. And um, when we, when I started working on that last year, it was more about um, companies deciding whether or not they should, and how fast should they do that, and where should they start. And now it's just how quickly can we do this in a way that makes us still viable. Um, in our industries, in our, you know, to our customers and so forth. So it's, yeah, that two months and two, in, in two years worth of two months is incredible. It really is true when you look at what's happening. And you see so much cre creativity from the channel, from the ecosystem, but just in the world, you know, people have adjusted and changed their daily routines to adapt to this new normal and it's it's fascinating to me to see that adaptation, to see that change, because, you know, in training, we, we always do a lot with change management because people are creatures of habit and you want to do things the same way. But, um, you know, when you're forced to do it, things happen and people do change. So it's been incredible, an incredible journey. So you've spent a lot of your career in marketing and responsible for large, large strategic events. And I've, I've known you through, you know, you're, you're running those events and leading those events. And I've always thought about this. Um, how do you manage the stress and complexity that goes along with this role? Because we're in the training business, so we're always, you know, putting on events. They're smaller events, but yours were such large scale and global events. Tell me some of your secrets. Tell me some of the ways that you've learned to manage that, you know, complexity and stress. Um, sure, I will. It, you know, I absolutely do love events. And, and even though I'm, uh, you know, doing um, different things across marketing now, it's always, you know, kind of in my heart and soul doing events. And I loved that kind of stress. And it's really mm -hmm. funny because my husband and I will have these conversations because he's always been in sales. And I'm like, it would be so stressful to me to think that, you know, there's this quota that I have to hit every month and every <laughs> quarter. And I think I just, you know, that would be more stress than I would want. And he laughed. He's like, but the stress you have is just as great. It's just different. And so I think it's like, it, it's the thing that, you know, kind of fits your, um, goes, go back, goes back to your passion of what are the things that you truly 
do that where you thrive and you are very good at um, naturally and then also from a ton of experience. You know, and I started with smaller events, obviously, and worked mm -hmm. my way up. But I think once you get to that scale, it's about um, building amazing teams around you and trusting them uh, because you can't be everywhere at every time and you can't control most things. And you have to trust that what you have put in place will um, will be uh, enough to create a really great experience and then people fill in all the gaps. Um, my very first job where I became a manager, I was in my 20s and my, my manager at the time, his advice to me has stuck with me longer than anything else. And he said, hire people smarter than you. And that has been the best advice, quite honestly, as a manager, is to um, bring in people that know things you don't know. And so I have, you know, very long-standing relationships with people that I've worked with over the years in different different positions. That and I bring them in because I know that they're really good at things that I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so that uh, teamwork that then happens because everyone feels empowered and trusted and has value that they're bringing creates kind of this magic of this ability to be able to um to make things happen kind of that feel impossible but they end up not being because everybody is all in that's great and that that advice on hiring people smarter than you is such good advice and people who compliment the things that you don't do well not everybody does everything perfectly so you have that compliment on your team that makes a really big difference I have a small story to share with you. Um, I had a friend, a very, very best friend, um, and unfortunately, about eight years ago, she passed away from cancer, but she always, when I was hiring people and running my business, she would ask me, uh, are they bright? Are they smart? Because mm -hmm. you don't need to be doing your work and their work as well. So she would always ask me that every time I talked about hiring somebody. And so after she passed away, we actually created a Bright Star Award that we give out every year in her honor because she just, you know, just that just resonated with me. And I remembered that when you were telling the story of, you know, your boss. So it was kind of kind of cool. That's amazing. I literally just got chills. That's amazing. That's I incredible. know. It's, it's, yeah. She was just an incredible person. Uh -huh. um, so continuing on the topic of marketing, um, can you share some best practices around digital marketing? Digital marketing is becoming so popular, and it's such a big part of marketing today. What are some of the things that you've learned throughout your career and, and you implement on digital marketing that can benefit our listeners? Right. Uh, that's a great question. It is, yeah, it is really marketing now, digital marketing, because especially in these days when face-to-face -face is not uh, really possible, it, it is, it's an art and a science. You know, you've got the science part of it where data drives everything. And so having good systems in place or the ability to, to uh, gather data about your either your current customers or your target cost customers is so important um, to be able to do that in a way that's automated and simple. Um, and then the next step to that is taking that data and, and driving insights. And so really spending the time to understand 
what um, is going on in the market, what's going on, you know, with your customer targeted customers, what are they, what are they challenged with, what are they trying to work through, how is it that what you're doing will bring value to them, and and then so in a digital marketing scenario, you talk about, you tell that story, and it's about storytelling, and it's something about, you know. Um, people that maybe like the customers you're looking for uh, and success challenges they had and then success that they found because of your product, because of your service, because of whatever you're offering. Um, because people always want to hear a good story. And um, it doesn't always have to be, you know, a story of 100% success. And sometimes it's better to tell a story. You know, if you look at um, movies and theater, it's there's always some conflict and there's always some struggles. And so how is it that you can tell a story of someone that went through that and you were able to help that customer bring them value? Because then others can picture themselves um, with that. And so if you have that data, understanding your customer, and then you're able to tell a story that counters it, I think the other piece is engaging. It can't be a one-way conversation. And so, you know, what creative way, and it doesn't have to be overly complicated, what creative way can you have where you have these two-way conversations with your customers in a digital way, whether it's small communities, large communities, um, uh, you know, uh, any sort of back and forth that you can create is really important as well. That's awesome. So, you know, having good data, telling it in a story, and getting engagement, I think those are so powerful. Um, I know storytelling is so important in everything that we do because it really creates that engagement as well um, because people relate to other people or other people's challenges are, might be the same as the listeners. And so these are, these are great points and really great advice. So, Katie, you and I are both passionate about women and girls and technology. I know that. Um, so, you know, one of my big missions and, and goals is to figure out ways to bridge the culture, pay, and employment gap for women. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What are things that we can do? And, you know, I know you're, you're always a big proponent and passionate about this topic. So what are some of the things that we can do to bridge that culture pay and employment gap for women? It's a, it's a, it's a great topic. It's one that we have made some progress on, but there's still so much more um, that needs to be done. And I think you said it, it's the culture is the key to it, is that you can make some tactical changes in companies, but if it's not core to the culture, um, that that belief in equity and inclusion and diversity of ideas, then it's not going to it's not going to um, be completely uh, um, fulfilled. That ability to have that equity across uh, the organization, across the people in the organization, so I think it has to be at the core of um, the culture. And so I applaud you know these larger companies that are working to drive that change in inclusion and equity. Uh, it's going to take some time just because it's, you know, moving a big ship and, you know, and turning it around. Um, but I do see that happening. Um, it's interesting, I think, even just this year, when you think about social justice and, um, you know, and it's, you know, uh, the focus being on the color of your skin being um, something that hadn't been talked about enough. And, and so I think it was put, kind of pushed under the rug and thinking we've made progress 
in that area and now all of a sudden it's coming to light that really no progress had been made and so how, you know what you're seeing there is that conversations are finally happening it'll take a lot of time to get there but at least people are finally um, feeling more comfortable to have that conversation and so I think that's the same it, it goes for um, women and girls in um, particularly in technology where it's been more male dominated I think that you know starting early with girls in school is important also to give them the confidence that they can um, do anything and that they can major in areas like math and science that normally was not something uh, that was had a lot of girls in those classes and so giving them the the culture in schools that it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy no class is closed to you that you can do anything that you want and so I think you know if you can capture their attention and confidence when they're you know middle school and then going into high school I think that that will drive some change long term and then I think just continue to chip away and have really open conversations um, in the corporate world I think the combination of those two We'll get there. It's not getting much better right now, but I believe that it will. Oh, I think that's very true. I think we have this year we've made a lot of progress on the DNI side, and um, I always, you know, when I'm talking to organizations and they talk about DNI, I'm always curious about the why. Why are you doing this? You know, mm-hmm. uh, because that, like you said, it's core to the culture. You have to believe it. You have to feel it in order to make it happen. So if you're just doing it because everybody's doing it or you think this is what I should do, but I really don't believe in it, you're not going to make progress. It's not going to be successful. It really needs to go back to the core to say, why is this important? What do I believe and how can I can make that happen? And when you do that, it changes the entire structure because now you look at every piece of your organization and say, okay, are we, is it equal? Is it fair? You know, um, what what does the culture look like? How What does the pay look like? All of those things come in. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. We, we have a long way to go, but we're making progress. And girls, again, passion for me as well is, you know, girls 8 to 13, we need to get them aware. We need to build their confidence. We need them to see themselves, tell stories, to see themselves in those roles so that it's not a question of, you know, if, but a question of just when, when they're going to get there. So great, great thoughts. Um, as a woman yourself in technology, what are some challenges you faced and what did you do to overcome them? I'm sure our listeners can um, gain some learnings out of that because we all go through a lot of challenges, um, you know, in our career. Can you share some of yours? Sure. I think the biggest one, and part of it is just my nature, um, being uh, leading as an introvert, but part of it too, I think, is the um, the environment sometimes is the being getting your voice heard. And, you know, I think part of it is up to each individual to make sure that they are speaking up at the times that they need to be. And um, they have that courage. And that's something that I continuously work on is that courage to speak up when um, I, you know, am wavering whether I should or not mm-hmm. uh, to speak up more often and have, have that initiative more often than not. 
Um, and then it's also the, you know, the support and um, the, uh, of your peers that are around you. And I remember there was a point in time, it was probably six years ago, seven years ago, where in the White House, um, uh, there was um, a challenge of women's voices being heard. And um, it was uh, a tactic that one of the senior leaders in the White House took was to repeat another woman's comment. So say you said something and then they just moved on with the conversation. I would jump in and say, as Jennifer had said, mm -hmm. and so you reiterate it. And so it's um, making sure because, you know, sometimes a woman might say something and then a man might say it, you know, five minutes later, I was like, that was such a great idea. Mm -hmm. So ensuring that um, your voice as a woman has been heard, having someone else reiterate it. And we actually tried that um, and it worked. It was fascinating to do. We actually, there was some, uh, peers of mine that we did that experiment in a pretty big meeting where we would, if one of us spoke up, the other would then echo it, you know, maybe two or three minutes later when it was appropriate, when it makes sense in the meeting, but just to see how that had an impact and it actually did. Fascinating. I love that. I mm -hmm. love that. I have to remember that because um, having your voice heard as a woman sometimes is difficult. Um, you need to be at the table. You need to have your voice heard at the table and, you know, just in, in my career, you know, there's, there's always that courage and confidence that sometimes you feel, oh, I can't do this, or I, I just don't know when to even say something. And then when I did say something in large meetings that were male-dominated, like you said, somebody else, a man would say something and it would come off as their idea. Yeah. And so I love this uh, tactic to repeat and reiterate um, what another woman has said, and I'm definitely going to practice that. That's great. Um, I know you've spoken at many conferences about work-life balance. Uh, share with our listeners, and especially me, because I need help in this area, <laughs> any best practices or secrets that you have to to balance that and, you know, not get overworked or burned out easily yeah um it's it's an ongoing process that's for sure <laughs> never ending to make sure that happens and i've even noticed now with us working from home is that the hours get longer and you know you you just uh people are working longer hours because they don't have to commute and so that that's unfortunate that you know we're replacing a commute with more work but um you know i think part of it was just survival when we first were um you know the world was shifting so rapidly uh, but there's a few things that have helped me through the years. One is that I had someone on my first team at Microsoft that he was super passionate about um, work-life balance, and he changed it, the words, to balanced, uh, a balanced life works. Mm. And I absolutely love that because um, it takes out, if you look at work-life balance, work and life is you know cut in half, it's divided. And so you think that those two things are separate, but they're actually not, especially in you know these days when everything is online. And so a balanced life works means that some days work is gonna dominate and that's okay. It's part of the deal, it's your job, it's just how things are and work needs to get done. But then you need to take those times when um, your life outside of work 
then takes the precedence. And so it's, you know, these peaks and valleys that over time, it won't be every single day that you have this balance, but it will be if you look at a curve throughout a year that you've had a, a balance and you've done things that you're passionate about. Um, the other thing that I always remember is that I had um, an amazing manager that said to me one time and said, if you are going to miss something for one of your kids' school activities, if you're going to say no to an, you know, a trip or an adventure, whatever it is, you are the only person that knows what you just gave up to go to a meeting or to you know, work on a project. No one else has any idea what that meant to you. Like your, you know, your son's baseball game. If you say, okay, fine, I'll go to the meeting and skip the baseball game. You're the only one that understands how much that meant to you, your family and so forth. Um, and so when making those decisions, you have to think if I miss a meeting versus me missing my son's baseball game, what's going to have a bigger impact on me longer term? And how is it that I can make this happen? And that, that just struck uh, such a chord with me that I made different decisions after that because of it. Because in three months from now, no one's going to remember that I missed that meeting. And three months from now, my son's going to remember that I missed him pitching at a baseball game. No, that's so true. And I've never thought of it that way. But, you know, because when when you make that sacrifice, sometimes you feel like everybody understands the level of pain you're going through and and I've never really thought about that but when you said that only you know and only you pay the price for that nobody else right no one's so, patting on the back saying good job for missing <laughs> right right I, I, that's great that is really good so always think through you know what impact is that going to have Me, you know, missing the meeting or missing my son's baseball game so yeah I love that that's great um, well, this has been so much fun. So in closing, what advice would you give to a woman who is considering a career in technology, not really sure if this is where she wants to go or if this is an area that might be great for her to try? What advice would you give her? That's a great question. I think, you know, there's a lot of um, opportunities now for internships. I think that um, exercising your curiosity, we talked about curiosity before, that's the thing that I always um, interview for is someone is curious and wants to ask questions. There are you know, a lot of people out there that are happy to you know, sit for a half an hour, talk to them about their career, talk to them about their experiences, how they, you know, how they made that journey, the good and the bad about it. I think just um, uh, keeping your eyes open and, and watching and asking and listening and then trying, you know, trying a job in, in this um, industry. It doesn't have to be for a massive technology company. There's so many amazing uh, technology companies out there. And that's what I loved about the partner community is just the breadth and the depth of, of opportunity that was there. Um, you know, you can always change. It's not a lifelong commitment when you go into a job like that. It's just a way to, um, to test the waters and see if you like it and see if you don't. Ask questions about culture before you go in to see if, you know, how progressive they are on their culture. I think that also matters as well. Yeah, culture, I think, is so important for the fit, right? Mm -hmm. um, but tech industry has so many different roles, like you mm -hmm. said that yes. you don't have to be a coder, right? So as a woman, if you want uh, additional freedom from you know, being able to work at home, 
as well as getting paid well. I think this is a great industry um, to consider. So that's great advice. Um, Katie, as always, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having you again on the show in the future. Jennifer, thank you so much for this opportunity. I love talking to you as well. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it in person, virtual, on demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.